It's an honor to be here this morning, and as a pastor of this church, I want to also extend my welcome to you and thank you for going. For the past decade, it's been our joy to host this annual gathering, and I'm humbled at the invitation to speak today. We've had some really good speakers over the years, and I know you have been blessed by them, and most of them have been public figures, you know, politicians, some of whom were uh, lawyers, and and I'm a Baptist preacher, and I have to confess, I feel a little bit like the old, uh, the old preacher who was dying, and in the final hours of life, he invited two members of his church to visit with him. One was a politician, and the other was a lawyer, and they entered the room together and sat on either side of the bed, and he just reached out and was holding both of their hands, laying in the bed, looking up at the ceiling with this peaceful smile on his face. And after a few moments of silence, the lawyer finally spoke up and said to his pastor, Pastor, we're really happy to be here with you, but I was wondering why you invited us and asked us to come. And the old preacher gathered his strength and finally said, Well, the truth is, Jesus died between two thieves, and I wanted to go out the same way. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) I I shouldn't have done that. But since this is a a holiday in which we celebrate the life of a Baptist preacher, I guess it's okay that another Baptist preacher is the speaker. And I'm going to do what preachers do. I'm going to tell you a Bible story. It's a story about a man who lived in the first century, and his name was Onesimus. He lived in what today we would call Turkey, modern Turkey, and he was a slave. And like most Roman slaves, he was European. Most Roman slaves, it wasn't about race, it was about military conquest and power, and he was a European slave. And one day, he ran away, he escaped. And in the process, stole some of his master's stuff. We don't know what, but he stole something. Made his way to the city of Rome, and while there, met the Apostle Paul, who was the first great missionary of the church, writer of about half our New Testament, just a great man of God. And Through their relationship, Onesimus became a believer, became a Christian, and began helping Paul with his ministry. And here's where the story takes an unexpected turn. After some time had passed, Onesimus and Paul decided, and this will catch some of us by surprise, decided that Onesimus needed to return to his master and make things right in terms of what he had stolen. Now here's more to the story. The apostle Paul also had a connection to the master. The master's name was Philemon, and years earlier, When Paul was ministering in that part of the world, Philemon had become a Christian. In fact, the church would meet in his home on the Lord's Day, and it's possible that his son was the pastor of that church, and he was a good man. He was an active member of the Christian community. And and so Paul and Onesimus say, 
let's go back and have a conversation and see what happens. And so Paul writes a, he, he writes a very heartfelt personal letter to Philemon, the former master from whom Onesimus had escaped. And in, in that very personal letter, Paul says, that he could use, if he chose to, his apostolic authority to order Philemon to do the right thing toward Onesimus. But what he would prefer is that Onesimus, that, or rather that Philemon treat, treat Onesimus, his former slave, the right way for the right reason, for a better reason, not just because he's ordered to. And so in this letter, Paul says to Philemon, he said, I want to appeal to you. I want to appeal to your heart. I want to appeal to your love. I want to appeal to your love for Jesus. I want to appeal to your love for fellow believers. I want to appeal to your love for me. And I'm the one that God used to to bring you to faith in Christ. I want to appeal to your love for everything that God is about to do the proper thing, to do the right thing. And in fact, in one verse in that passage in the New Testament, Paul said, so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. And Paul said, because of love, don't treat him as a slave. Instead, treat him as your brother, as a beloved brother. And Paul would go on to say, accept him just like you would accept me if I came your house. Now, you and I could debate Paul's strategy. That's not my purpose. Just like it's not my purpose or intent this morning to talk about government programs or policies, etc. I want to do what Paul did. I want us to to look inside ourselves. And, And I want us to ask God to show us within ourselves, what is that good thing that he wants each of us to do as we continue living in this community, as we interact with one another, as we do the things we do based on our positions of leadership and impact and influence in this community, to to look deep within inside of us and say, God, speak to me and show me that good thing you want me to do that blesses somebody else's life. And God, help me do that, not because I have to, but because I want to, not because someone is instructing me to, but because You are putting love in me that motivates me to do it. You see, the truth is, if we're to do those kind of things, we have to begin by being honest about our our reality, if you will. We have to be able to know what is and where we are and what's the the unique opportunity that's immediately in front of us. When When I was 25 years old, Monisa and I moved from Kentucky to Sumter, And I became pastor of a church that had a a bus ministry. And I was a product of bus ministry in Kentucky. And so that was on my heart, meant a lot to me. And one Saturday, we were out visiting in the neighborhood. And what you would do in bus ministry in those days was pretty much go door to door and meet people, invite them to ride the bus and come to church and so on. And we were out going door to door. And I remember we we were walking on a street and came to this one house and I started to go to the front door of that house. And one of the members of the church, I was a new preacher there, and one of the members looked at me and said, don't go to that house. I, I, was, I said, why? Why not? And I still remember the verbatim answer, because blacks live there. And in that moment, I became aware of my reality. And before I would leave as pastor of that church, African-American kids were riding our buses. But you can't, in love, 
do something if you're not aware of what your reality is. And not just the reality that surrounds you, but how you fit into it and how you feel about all of it. Now fast forward 30 years. Yesterday I, I preached a sermon about the importance of relationships and not making excuses to do whatever we need to do to be the best person in those different relationships. And in Baptist churches we give an invitation after the sermon. People come to the altar, kneel and pray. And so we had, and since it was on relationships, we had couples praying, some who were struggling in their marriage and, and, and they were just trying to make things right between themselves and with God. And over here on this side was an interracial couple praying and there was nothing really unusual about that. Recently, I performed a wedding for an African-American couple, and the miracle was not that a Baptist preacher did that. The miracle was this. That couple had been divorced, and now we're getting married to each other a second time. The miracle was God had restored their marriage. So we've come a long way. And you and I as people of goodwill, those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ are called to something higher. We are to make a difference. We are to be a positive contribution to the community. We've come a long way. But can I also be honest? Okay. I believe one of the challenges we face, not only in this community but in our, in, in, in our nation, is the, the growing animosity associated with the us versus them mentality. Because there are so many levels in which we're not able to talk with each other anymore. In which we don't know and understand each other. And as far as personal awareness goes, you know, realizing your, your, your circumstance... Probably that for me personally, the most vivid experience I had that really crystallized that for me happened a few years ago during the O.J. Simpson trial. Now, everybody in this room knows that our nation was pretty divided on that, right? Some really strong opinions. To say otherwise would be to stick our head in the sand. I happened to be in Monk's Corner, South Carolina, uh, Brother Mark, that week when the jury announced its verdict. I was preaching revival at a church there, and I think the... The verdict out in L.A. was announced in the morning or something, so it was about lunchtime or early afternoon here. I, I don't remember exactly. And uh, so I was with some other white preachers, if you will, about five of us, and we were in a little room in that church watching on television as the jury announced the verdict. And I, I still remember that when, when, they, when they said not guilty in that room with me and these others, there was just absolute stunned silence. Is it okay for me to say that? Absolute stunned silence. But what really got my attention was that simultaneously down the hall there was an eruption of applause and shouting and screams. Because this particular church fed senior citizens in their community every day. And most of the staff, as you might expect, were African American. They were watching the same thing I had been watching together on a small television in the kitchen. And so when that jury said not guilty, my room stunned silence, the other room applause and screams and shouts of joy. And in that moment, it was, have you ever had one of those wow moments? For me, that was a, a wow moment because 
if I have been unaware to whatever extent of the differences in thought about different things before, in that moment it was impossible for me not to recognize that there's a lot about one another we don't understand. And we don't know. We don't know how to talk about it. Can I say that? We don't know how to talk about it. We need to know how to talk about it. And that's why I'm intrigued with Paul's admonition to Philemon to, out of love, do the good thing, the proper thing, the right thing. And why I say to all of us in here, whether you're Democrat, Republican, white, black, young, old, rich, poor, educated, uneducated, say, God, look, help me, help me see within me. And what is that good thing I need to do? And what is that thing that perhaps I need to change within me? Because I'm convinced that if I'm a better me, then I'll be a better part of this community, and that will make a difference because whatever role I play, whether it's preacher, city manager, you know, construction worker, school teacher, if I'm a better me, then that will make this a better place to be. Do you agree with that? But that can't happen if I'm not willing to look within me. And lay myself open and say, God, show me something about me. Because in this us versus them mentality, we're too busy looking at everyone else and not busy enough looking at self. Now, one of the reasons I like the Bible is it's practical. Not just true, practical. And... It deals with real life stuff. And so God's Word gives us some guidance for knowing how to get to know one another better, understand one another better, have conversations with one another. And being a good Baptist preacher, I got three points real quick. You ready? Here's the first one. Learn about people by listening to them and having conversations with them. It's hard to learn about someone else if you don't ever talk with someone else, if you don't ever listen to someone else. And the, ver- the, the verse of Scripture on the screen from Proverbs says, A fool finds no pleasure in understanding but delights in airing his own opinions. Now, we all have opinions. I have them. And I air them, and you do too. But here's the problem. If I air my opinions more than I listen, then I'm not going to be any smarter in the future than I already am in the present. And I'm not going to understand people any better. If I don't listen. There's another verse, Proverbs 1, 5 says, Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. See, in our culture, I'm afraid we don't listen enough. We talk. Well, actually, we shout too much. James 1, 19 says, Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And by the way, do you know that if we talked less and listened more, there probably would be a little less anger? Here's number two, okay? You never knew a Baptist preacher could get through a point so fast. Here's number two. Take the risk that comes with growing and with admitting that you're not always right. Proverbs 28, 13, he who conceals his sin does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces 
renounces them finds mercy. See, in my life with God, there are those moments when I have to say, all right, God, I get it. You're right. I'm wrong. But the truth is, in relationships, that has to happen from time to time. I mean, I've been married 31 years, and that would never have lasted 31 years if there weren't those moments when I said, okay, Monisa, you're right. I'm wrong. Because if I'm always right, there's no growth. If I'm not willing to admit that maybe just maybe something inside of me, an attitude needs to adjust, there's no growth. And I need to be willing to take the risk that comes with growing and changing and becoming a better me so that I can help this place be a better place. For what was it, Mayor, you said, the generations that march about the, gener- you know, the young ones, for the generations to come. All right, number three, be kind. Now, isn't that deep? Be kind and stop attacking. One last Bible verse. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. And if I had one verse for America today, it would be that verse. And part of it is, you know, outgrowth of our uh, entertainment culture. Even our newscast, you have person A and person B, opposite ends of whatever the issue is, and there's no discussion, there's no learning, there's just screaming extremes on both ends to win an argument. And the problem is when your ultimate goal is to win an argument, you usually lose relationships. Martin Luther King Jr. once said, I have decided to stick to love. Hate is too great a burden to bear. One of the uh, lesser-known victims of the civil rights struggle, some of you will know his name, but most of us in this room probably don't, was a 26-year-old man in Marion, Alabama by the name of Jimmy Lee Jackson. Now, if you studied that movement, you, you know his name, but it's not one that you see mentioned on television very often when we think about the 60s. He was a 26-year-old man who'd been a deacon for less than two years in his Baptist in his, in, his, in his church there. And one day he was one of 500 people who were on a short, peaceful march when police responded with violence, as they sometimes did. During that uh, encounter, an NBC news correspondent was beaten so badly he was, in, he was admitted to the hospital. The, the marchers began running back to the church from which they had started, and Jackson was with his mother and 86-year-old grandfather. His grandfather was knocked to the ground and being beaten when his mother tried to pull the police off of her dad, his grandfather, and then they began beating her. And that's when Jimmy Lee Jackson tried to protect his mom. He was pushed away and shot twice in the stomach, beaten in the head, and a few days later died in a hospital in Selma. At the cemetery following his funeral, At the cemetery, Martin Luther King pleaded with the people to pray for the police, to forgive the murderer, and to forgive those who were persecuting. In one of his books, Dr. King wrote this, Probably no admonition of Jesus has been more difficult to follow than the command to love our enemies. 
Far from being the pious injunction of a utopian dreamer, the command to love one's enemy is an absolute necessity, now listen, for our survival. Love even for our enemies is the key to the solution of the problems of our world. I am so thankful that in 2014, as I do ministry in a local church, I don't encounter what I did in 1984. Aren't you? I, I really am. We've, we've come a long way. But I do believe that if each of us, whether you're a Christian or not, will follow the biblical guidelines to be a better you and to do things not just under compulsion but from love, to do what is proper, what is good, what is right, that that will make all of us better people, better public servants, better preachers, better politicians, better lawyers, better teachers, better at anything and everything, and that will make this a better place to live. That's my challenge to us. God bless you and thank you.